in whom we believe in, and that we're able to communicate these things to the world. There is nothing worse than having an ignorant church, if that makes sense. People who don't really know why, why they're shouting, people who don't know what they really believe in can't communicate it. And that's not us. But there's people out there who, who can't really communicate the gospel, can't communicate who God is, and don't understand the fundamental doctrines of the word of God. So I want to dedicate myself for this fourth quarter of the year to only teach and preach the foundation, to teach and preach the doctrines so that we all could understand, I could understand, right, and be able to communicate to anyone at any time why I believe, in whom I believe in. Praise God. We all know that we have connect groups. How many of you are in the connect group? Anybody here? Yes. A couple of you guys are, are in connect groups. These are our home Bible studies. We have these home bi Bible studies in different zip codes. And people during the week gather together. And we want every connect group to speak the same thing. We want every connect group, every member of the body of Christ to speak the same thing. To know in whom they believe in. To have an answer for the hope they have. So when people have questions, we're ready and prepared. Amen? So in the Bible, we have um, some essential biblical doctrines. I want to go through it real quick. I am not going to really um, explain each one in depth. But I do want to give an overview, okay, of the doctrines of the Bible. Doctrines are teachings. That word doctrine means teaching. If you do a, a, a word study in the Bible of the word doctrine, okay, that word means or is, it means the, the power behind teaching. Doctrine is the power, the substance behind teaching. Everybody has a doctrine. You teach your children doctrine every day. Where you got that doctrine from determines your background, your culture, where you grew up. But everyone has doctrine. So if someone tells you that doctrine is not important, they're ignorant. They don't understand. Everyone has a teaching. Everyone has a way they do things. So how much more God, our creator, the shepherd of the sheep, have a way of doing things? And it's called doctrine, teaching, the power behind teaching, doctrine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, everything that, that is said and done today, let it be done through your spirit, by your anointing. We thank you, God, today that you have gathered us in this place to hear your word, to be encouraged, to be edified, to be blessed. Let the words of my mouth, Lord Jesus, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Let our hearts be good ground to receive in Jesus' name. Can we all say amen? Amen. There is no way I could finish all of it, but let's go through it. And where we end, God knows and we'll end. So I have eight essential doctrines that I want to quickly name. The first one 
is the doctrine of God, and rightly so to be the first one. The world was not created on its own. It didn't just ex come into existence by a great bang, big bang, or whatever they may say. You know how we know that? Because we see the details in creation. We see how the ocean stops at a certain point. We see how the animals are different in color and texture and sizes. And we see how human beings, how we're different than, than any other animal. We have intellect. We're able to praise God and, and recognize him. There's something more than just a big bang. This thing was designed. This thing was tailored by someone. And that someone is God. So the first doctrine of the Bible is God. And the Bible is not proving that there is a God. The Bible already knows that it's a fundamental um, um, doctrine to, 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 to have a God. So it doesn't prove that there is God, but it teaches us who God is. That's why the Bible is called the Word of God. How can we know who God is unless he reveals himself to us? He reveals his thoughts to his creation. So the first doctrine is not so much of his name or his person, but to know that God is. In the beginning, God. Amen? He created. The second doctrine of the Bible is the Bible itself, what we will call scriptures. It's very important to, to understand that the scriptures are the word of God. That holy men, they wrote as they were inspired by the spirit of God. And that all scriptures, okay, is profitable to us for doctrine, for reproof, correction. So that the man of God, woman of God will be equipped unto all good works. Can we say amen? The Bible is the source of life. The Bible is so important, and, and the enemy knows this. So if you look throughout history, the enemy's design is to keep the word of God away from the people. He always wants to hide the word. He used to send or, or, or try to have men destroy the scriptures, but God preserved his word throughout time so we can know him and be able to read it for ourselves. The third doctrine is angels. Who, what are angels? What's their purpose? The fourth doctrine is humanity. God has teachings about us. He lets us know who we are. We don't know ourselves. Things change. and One day we love the color yellow and then we grow up and then we hate yellow and we love red. We don't know ourselves. But God knows us. The Bible says that he knows our thoughts are far off. Before we pray, he answers. That's the God that we serve. So isn't it right for him to have teachings about us? The Bible in James is called a mirror. When you read the word of God, it reads you. It's the only book on this planet that as you read it, it exposes yourself. And you say, God, this is me. This is who I am. The fifth doctrine is Jesus Christ. God manifests in flesh. The Bible shows us who he is. As a matter of fact, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about him. That is God's master plan. That is God's redemption plan, Jesus Christ. Our Father himself coming in flesh. And there's teachings 
about Jesus and who he is and the prophecies that went forth about him in the Bible. It's all there. Sixth doctrine is salvation. There is a teaching on salvation. God did not leave salvation for us to figure out. God has a pattern and a plan on how he wants to deliver us and how we must respond to his deliverance, to, to, to appropriate it in our lives. God is not asking us to, to be, to just to try to figure this out and, 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 and come into his kingdom our own way. But he has a way. He has a pattern. He has a doctrine to save you. A lot of people don't know this doctrine of salvation correctly and, and they get frustrated because they do it their way but don't receive the results that God said he will give. And the reason why is because they're doing it their own way. It's like cutting your own key to enter into a door. He says, if you go in any other way, you are a thief and a robber. But God says, I am the door and I am the way. If any man wants to come to me, to the Father, he must go through the gospel. He must go through Jesus Christ. Amen? And there's more on that, obviously, but it's an overview. Number seven, doctrine, the church. God identifies his church in the word of God. He lets us know what the church is and who the church is so we can see if we are truly in the church or we are truly a part of the kingdom of God. He doesn't leave it up to, uh, to, to our feelings to feel like we're saved or to, to feel like we're in the church. There's knowledge, there's understanding so you can see if you're truly in the faith and truly in the church. Amen? And number eight, I call it the last things. He speaks about the end time and, and, and his return, the rapture, the new Jerusalem. These things are doctrines that, that, that we learn and that we study. Praise the Lord. Well, today I want to go through a few things, just to highlight a few things, because these things you could use during your Bible studies, or you could use these things when you're evangelizing to your, your neighbor, okay? My goal this morning is to wet, wet your appetite, let you know that winning a soul is not a complicated and difficult task, that if you can learn these foundational truth that you'll be able to witness to anyone. God does not want you to witness to your neighbors just by saying whatever comes to mind, but he wants you to have a methodical plan according to his word to, to show people that they need a savior, they need a Messiah in Jesus' name. So the first thing that we have to understand is coming from John 17, 7. I'm sorry, 1717. Jesus saying this. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Then he identifies what the truth is. He says, thy word is truth. Let's say it together. Thy word, thy word is truth. The word of God is the truth. The word of God has been tested has been tried, and the word of God has won every battle and has proven 
That is not a lie, and that is true. Many of us want to be free from different things, and we're trying to find out, find the truth. We Google it online. We ask counselors. We ask people for opinions and, 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 and a way of escape. And God is, this morning is telling us that the truth is his word. In John 8, 32, it says this, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you have any bondage in your life, anywhere you feel stuck, and you want to be set free, the word of God has the answer. The word of God has the solution, the remedy, the plan, the strategy for you to get out of whatever you're in and be victorious. But the word of God says you will know it, meaning that you have to search it out first for yourself to know. It's not going to come by divine osmosis into your spirit and you have revelation and then just know what to do. But God says, I have the plan. I know the plan and the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord. But we must seek it out in his word. We must understand that every man on this planet needs to be set free. Every man that is outside of the covenant of Jesus Christ is in bondage. No matter how it looks on the outside. If you have been watching the news, a young man just committed suicide in jail. A wealthy man. A man that had all that he wanted. Houses and cars and popularity and friends. But without Christ, the end of every man is doom, eternal judgment. Without Christ, the end of every man is the repercussion of the curse. Do we understand that? We have to make these things known to ourselves first. So first of all, that we could enjoy and rejoice over the salvation that we have. Sometimes we lose the zeal and we lose the passion because we don't realize or recognize where we have come from. We don't realize the great victory that God has given us. So we get bored and we get idle and we get complacent in the church because we forget that if it wasn't for God, we would have been destroyed. Sin, every man needs salvation. Do we understand that? Your family members who are, living, who are living life and they seem so happy and prosperous that do not have Christ, they need salvation. God is, not, God is not going to go against his word. He is not going to just pardon people because they, he just loves them so much and they, they never obeyed. God gave us a strategy and gave us a plan that every man can receive salvation if they obey the gospel your family my family unsaved loved ones and my community your community needs salvation romans 3:23 says this for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god everyone have sinned everyone has fallen short of the glory of god it started from the garden with adam and eve it was a sin of disobedience you see sin is disobedience. Adam and Eve never killed anyone. Adam and Eve never committed rape or adultery or whatever you make these, these things that we consider to be grievous sins. 
what they did was disobedient. They were disobedient. And they received the same consequences as serial killers, murderers, these things that we push, oh, that's not me. The same consequences that they receive is the same consequences Adam and Eve receive just by disobeying and eating from that tree. Sin is disobedience. Can we say that right now? Sin is disobedience. No one is safe. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Sin causes judgment. It causes us to be cast out of God's presence. It caused work. When it says work, it means working without God. Working, striving to make it on your own. God never designed it for us to strive, to sweat, to, to try to make things happen on our own. He said to Adam, I love you. A matter of fact, before God made Adam, he created Eden first, a place where he will be supplied, a place where he had protection and shelter and God's glory was there. Then he made the man and put the man in the garden and said, take care of this, your blessing that, that, that I have given you. But because of sin, they were cast out of God's presence, cast out of God's provision and protection. And now they had to work and toil to make ends meet. That is not God's will. Pain came into the world because of disobedience. One man, disobedience. Guilt and shame came into the world because of sin. Do we understand that? It's a sin problem. It's a sin problem. Racism, murder, hatred, envy, jealousy is a sin problem. It's not people. It's sin. Praise God. And this entered into the world in Genesis from the beginning. And God has given us a remedy for it. You see, sin is hereditary. It's not something that we're, we're, we're born righteous and then we commit sin. We're born into it. It's in our nature. Every man is born a sinner. Every man comes into this world and God sees them as a sinner. You remember in Genesis, God says that every, every, every herb and every tree, right, every fruit have seed inside of it. And that that fruit or that seed will bear of itself. Saying this, if I plant an, an apple seed, what am I going to get? An apple tree. If I plant a, a, a pear seed, I'm going to get a pear tree. It's the same thing with man. Man plants the seed and what's produced? The same as him. So when Adam sinned before he had children, when Adam sinned and began to reproduce with Eve, his wife, he produced from his seed sinners. And from then until now, every man born of a woman, praise God, is born in trouble, born a sinner, born condemned to die. But I thank God for Jesus, and I thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is important, which is given to every man, praise the Lord. It says it here in Psalms 51, 5, David says, Behold, I was shaping in lawlessness, iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 3.10 says this, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. 
1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But the natural man, meaning the unsaved man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's why we must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. We don't teach unsaved people God's principles, God's ways. They can't receive it. They don't understand. That's why when we try to, 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 to tell people how we feel and our testimony sometimes, they can't understand. They look and say, you're crazy. <laughs> it's because the unsaved man, the natural man cannot perceive or understand the things of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born the water, the water and the spirit, you cannot see or even enter the kingdom of God. People who are not born again can't see, meaning they can't perceive the things of the kingdom. They don't understand. It's confusing to them. And that's why we don't argue with people, but what we do, we present to them the gospel. That's who God is and what he has done for us. That's the first thing that we lay out over and over and over again. If you're in a connect group, if you're witnessing to your, to your family or to your co-workers, stick to the gospel. Don't go too far. Don't get into angels and, and, and prophecy and speaking in tongues and all these things. Stick to the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Stay right in that lane and pray for them and fast for them and you will see change. Then when they respond to the gospel, when they receive the spirit of the king, when they receive forgiveness of sins through water baptism, then reapproach them with these things now, with tongues and, and, and prophecy. Watch their response. They go, like, yes, I see it. I understand. Because they're regenerated in Jesus' name. You get that? Everybody's here? Amen. Man cannot save himself. Man cannot save himself. And I know you heard this before. But we're going to hear it again and again and again and again. You know what I don't understand? I know some people that sometimes they say, why these pastors are preaching the same thing over and over again? Baptism in Jesus' name, one God, and being filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to hear something new, right? Then you ask them, have you taught any Bible studies lately? They will say no. You know why? They will say, because I don't understand. I don't know how to do it. I need teaching. Well, that's why the pastor, the evangelist, is preaching these things to give you understanding so you may now go out and communicate the same things you heard. And obviously you're not getting it yet, so that's why it has to be repeated and repeated over and over again so we will not forget our foundation, which is the apostles' doctrine. So we will not get caught up in the, these waves of false doctrine and start to question what we heard, question what we read, God is continually, every service, every week, telling us his word, giving us his counsel so we may be strong when the wave of deception come and the temptation of this world come. We will say, no, I know in whom I believe in. I know in what I believe in. Hallelujah. A day is coming and now is where people are going to call good evil and evil good. 
We're in that day now. And if you don't know the doctrine, the power behind teaching, you'll be pulled away. You'll be pulled away. Hallelujah. My goodness. Paul said before that great return of the king, there's going to be a great falling away in the church. And I pray to God that it's not me. So I'm going to keep my face in the book. Not in Facebook, but in the book. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes on his teachings so that me and my family will make it through those gates. And God will say, come in. Come inherit your inheritance, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear in Jesus' name. Our works can't save us, people of God. Titus 3, 5 says this, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Our righteousness cannot save us. Isaiah 64, 6, the word of God says this, but we are all as unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. All of us fade as a leaf. Here one day, gone tomorrow. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Our lawlessness just takes, out, takes us out. This world is corrupt. Our bodies are corrupt. And lawlessness and iniquity take out people every day, like the wind. And God is saying, your righteousness, going to church every Sunday, reading the Bible and, and quoting scriptures will never save you. These things are good. They're great spiritual disciplines, but they won't save you. There is one Savior. It's a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Praise God. Yes. Our goodness cannot save us. Matthew 19, 17 says this, and he said unto them, unto him, the young man, why calleth me thou why calleth thou me good? Because the young man was saying that he was a good man. He didn't understand the incarnation. He didn't understand that this was God. So Christ was giving him a lesson, explaining to him that no man is good, only God. So that's why he says this. Why calleth thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, look what he says, keep the commandments. That's what God wants from us, to keep his commandments, to walk in his ways. Praise the Lord. Have you heard people in the past or even lately say, I'm a good person. Now you know what to say. Bring them to the scripture. Don't say it yourself. Bring them to the scripture. Let me, let me show you something. And you go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 17, and say, look what Jesus said. Put it on Jesus. Look what he said. He said, no one is good. Nobody. If you're a, you know, a, a, a giver of your goods and your money and, and, and you do things for people all day, you're still not good in God's eye on your own. No one is good but one. And that is God. And that's why we need his name. He takes our name away and gives us his name. And now we're righteous. Now we're holy. Because now we're ident we are identified with the one who is good in Jesus' name. Gal um, Galatians 2.16 says this. Knowing that 
that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. None of these things will save us. Only God save us. And God gave us provision. And here is his provision. It's Christ. His body was given for you and for me. That's why we should never be bored in church. Never be complacent. We should have zeal and passion because we know that the only difference between me and my neighbor who's not saved is Christ. <laughs> That's the only difference. We were snatched out the fire, praise God, by a person. Not because we're good. We are the same. But Christ has snatched us out. And what makes the difference in my life and that man over here is a person. His name is Jesus. And I thank God for him every day. Hallelujah. Acts 4, 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If we are going to be saved, it must be by the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power unto salvation. Praise the Lord. People, think about it. The world hates that name. They hate it. That name irritates nations. They don't want that name coming or his teachings coming into their country. Think about it. You could preach Allah. You could preach Muhammad. You could preach your own idea. You could preach yourself. They'll say come and they'll welcome you. But you mentioned Jesus. Now there's persecution and riots. People getting saved. Things are happening because that name is powerful. And the world recognized that name in Jesus' name. Praise God. Hebrews 9, 22 says this, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Blood is important. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Remission means forgiveness of sins. From Adam, we see bloodshed. When God himself clothed them with the animal skin. The only way for them to, to get animal skin after they sinned was for some blood to be shed. So God made the first sacrifice and clothed his people. He's a merciful God. We see Abel being killed by his brother Cain. And that represents the martyrs, how the religious world killed the prophets. You see, I believe that, that this end time persecution is going to continue with the same pattern. It's not going to be the world persecuting the church. It's going to be the false church persecuting the true church. It's going to be the ones that don't know Christ but name his name who's going to turn to us and say, kill them. They are false. They are zealous. They are in a false religion. It's going to be the false church coming against us. And you'll see it. It's a pattern. We see bloodshed with the lamb when Moses was taking Israel on an exodus out of bondage. The commandment was every man to get a lamb for his household. Isn't it the same today? Every man in this room that have family, you need a lamb for your household. 
You cannot save your children. You cannot save your wife. You cannot argue them into salvation. What we do is we go to the one who gave it all. We go to the Lamb of God. Every house needs a lamb. And we have him now. That's Jesus Christ. We see the Hebrew sacrifices, right? How they were in a tabernacle giving sacrifices, in a temple giving sacrifices, blood all over the Bible. It's a blood Bible, praise God. The scourging of Christ, that was bloody. He says, by his stripes we were healed. And all these things led to Calvary. All of these sacrifices and, 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 and blood led to the ultimate sacrifice, which is Christ our Lord. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. What a sacrifice. Everything that God did in the word, look at it, study it. He did for us. It's never about him. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation, the last chapter, it's all about him giving to us. Everything is for you and me. Everything. The gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the blood, the church, the word of God, all of it is for you and me. The only thing that he claims for himself is us. Again, he says, those are my people. Those are my children, and I will supply their need according to my riches in glory. Aren't you excited about God, about Jesus Christ? Everything is for you. He requires nothing, even a tithe and offering that we complain about and fight over. He says, prove me in this, the thing that you don't want to do. Prove me even in that, and see if I won't pour out a blessing upon you. He says, when you do this, I will open up the windows of heaven. Isn't that something? God is so good. He is so giving. These are the foundational things that we should be preaching and teaching our people. I mean, our, our community, our neighbors, in our connect groups. The law was given to, by the Lord to Moses on Mount Sinai. We had ceremonial laws including the priests, the sacrifices, and the blood. But all these things point to Calvary. In Colossians 2.17, it says this, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body, listen to the words, but the body is of Christ. And in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus, or God, tabernacled himself and came among us. The tabernacle that we see in the Old Testament, the temple that we see in the Old Testament is actually the body of Jesus. If you study that, it's mind-blowing how God is a, is a master builder. How all that he does is nothing is wasted. Everything means something from Genesis straight down. He's revealing this, this great redemption. He's re revealing himself coming in the flesh. The outer courts where the blood was shed. It's his body. The inner courts or the, or the holy place and the holy of holies is that treasure that was inside Jesus. He came full of grace and truth. 
The fullness of the Godhead was in him bodily. You see that? The Ark of Covenant where the glory was. That's him walking around, tabernacled among the people. It's just so, it's, it's, it's amazing. God is so good. In Galatians 3, 24, we can stand. I'm going to close now. I'm nowhere near where I need to be, but God knows. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says this. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be, might be justified by faith. The Bible declares that faith without works is dead. Like the body without the spirit. This morning, God wants to remind us of his sacrifice that he has made for you and for me. And I feel just to skip forward and say this. The gospel is what, who God is. What do you have done for us? God came in the flesh. Our Father came and put on a body, put on a robe of, of flesh and blood so that he may become our sacrifice. He will take our place. He did it. He conquered death. For three days, no one was praising. No one was having church. Nothing was going on. On that third day, he defeated death, hell, in the grave by his resurrection. He died in your place, died in your name, but rose in his, conquered all these things and gave you his name. How? He says, now, like I was, I died and I, and I was buried and I resurrected. Now I want you to do the same thing. I was the first of many brethren. I showed you the way. I am the way, right? Jesus. Now I want you to die and be buried and be resurrected. Now you may ask, how can, I, how? how can I do this? And here's the answer in Acts 2, 38. We know it. But for someone in here, you have not gone through this. And today's your day. It's a good day for you because today you're going to be translated from this kingdom or this world to another world. Today in Jesus' name. He said, do this. Repent. Repent is a mind thing. Lord, I changed my mind about the way I was going. It was wrong. I'm a sinner. My good deeds don't mean anything. I was born into this. I inherited sin because of Adam. And it wasn't my fault per se, but I'm in it. And you have given me provision and, and, and provided a lamb for me. I changed my mind. God, I repent. I'm sorry of the way I lived. Then Peter said the first day, he said, Then every one of you be baptized in the name of the lamb, in the name of the king of the kingdom. In the name of Jesus Christ. That name is so powerful. We've just seen that. When you go down that water, it's a burial. Because repentance is death. Death to self. You're denied. You're, you're, you're done. I want to be identified with Christ. That's repentance. And now you're burying that dead man, right? We don't leave dead men in the open. We bury them. So we bury that dead man in a watery grave. It's a beautiful thing. It's so spiritual. And you go down in the name of Jesus, identifying with his burial. Praise God. And when you come up out of the water, you're not just wet. There's something that takes place. The Bible says your sins are washed away. Hallelujah. The guilt, the shame is gone, is washed away. And you come up a new person, a new creature, 
Like Christ raised from the grave, you raise up now out of that water into the newness of life. And the Bible says this, that the Holy Spirit, the promise of our Father, His Spirit, the Holy Ghost, will now come into you. When you ask Him for it, God, fill me. It will come into your life. It will come into that, sto- it will change that stony heart, that rebellious heart, and give you a heart of flesh to obey His commands. And you begin now. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. So when He fills you with the Holy Spirit, you begin to speak in a new tongue, an unknown tongue. And that's the sign that you believe. That's the sign that you are filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Yes. That's your down payment to let you know that you are bought. Praise God. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your gospel, Lord. Your good news, Lord Jesus. We were lost in sin. We were lost in rebellion, Lord. We were lost, Lord God, in going our own way that leads to destruction. But you loved us so much, Lord, that you manifested your plan to us. And you said, I'm coming for you. I'm going to come and save you. I know that you're feeling the, 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 the consequences of sin, the pain, the guilt, the agony, the confusion. But your God will come and save you. And the blind eyes will be open. And the lame will leap and walk. Hallelujah. You said you are coming for us and you have came, Lord God. And you have conquered, Jesus. And now, Lord God, we say thank you, Lord. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for reaching for us, Lord, and giving us what we don't deserve in the name of Jesus. We are your church, Lord. We were once not a people, but now we are a people called by your name. And we are the anointed ones now, Lord. Give us, Lord God, understanding and wisdom and knowledge, Lord, to communicate this same gospel, this same truth, the doctrine, Lord God, to our neighbors, to our loved ones. We have children, God, who have backslidden. We have children, God, who have gone astray. And we desire them them to come back. So, Lord God, we go to you, the Lamb. We go to the Lamb of God. We go, God, to you, God, to draw them in, Lord. Bring them back into the sheepfold, Jesus. Save their souls. Save our neighbors. Save our communities, Lord Jesus, because we need your salvation. Man needs your salvation, Lord. Use this church, Lord. Use this local assembly to do your work. We are willing, Lord Jesus, to go. We say yes to you, Lord. Call us and we will go. Anoint us and we will preach and lay hands, Lord, and do your work. In the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for today's service. Someone will be saved today. Someone will meet you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. God is so good. Woo! Isn't the word great? Hallelujah.